That first hour was so much tension there that you just please get off to a good start. Let's not have an absolute nightmare here. You're listening to the Lord's Cricket Podcast with me, Will Rowe. These are the stories from the home of cricket with the people that made them. Well, welcome to this episode of the Lord's Cricket Podcast. I'm joined today by a true legend of South African cricket, a man who took 330 test wickets in 72 matches. Alan Donald, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Busy, busy. It's back into the English county grind. Yeah, it's nice to be here for the first time at Kent. Great stuff. Uh, We're going to go down memory lane today, Alan. So... I mean, the first question I've got for you is the zinc and the war paint. What was all that about? (laughs) Well, I I saw um, Craig McDermott wear it once, but I also, when I was at school, I was sort of mucking around with it a little bit and put it on and... And then some kids said to me, you know, he's just a poser, you know, sort of, sort of, you know, there's no need for that. And but I genuinely, because my mum always said that, you know, you got to protect yourself. It's it's um, it's very important that you, you look after your skin. Yeah. And um, and and I just thought I got this 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 stuff and I started putting it on my nose and that's how it all how it all kicked off and. And it sort of became part of me. Did you, um, did you do it to intimidate batsmen? No, it wasn't really. <laughs> I, I genuinely did it because I thought, well, you know, it's it, that, that's probably me. You've created this identity. And um, and also it just sort of kicked on from there And um, until a doctor in Australia actually told me that it wasn't really good for you. Um, okay. Because of the zinc, it sort of reflects back into your eyes. <clears throat> so it causes more damage and ultimately I've had a left eye my left eye I've had a, 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 a pterygium removed which was uh, not a pleasant operation to do um, and, and a lot of the a lot of the youngsters now you can all see them wear glasses it's so important the sun is brutal out there uh, not only on your skin but in your eyes so um, so I quickly just that was that was it I, started, <laughs> I stopped using it and then sort of did it did it on my lips White Lightning that was the nickname who, who coined that by the way well um, it was in Australia 93-94 um, series where I um, I opened the papers and at breakfast one morning and I saw um, White Lightning and the headlines was White Lightning Um um, I don't know what they wrote about, but it was just white lightning. South Africa's white lightning, and that's it. That's that's where it started. So, <laughs> <laughs> so a journal coined it. Yeah. And I'd like to ask about how you got into fast bowling. I mean, being being a South African, I presume growing up, uh, rugby and cricket were the, the two main sports you played. Well, yeah, we we um, we had to play a winter sport, and obviously, if you're a young kid in South Africa, you want to play for the Springboks. So. Uh, I loved rugby. It was my number one sport. Mm. Um, and I um, started playing cricket. I quite enjoyed the, uh, cricket. Um, I, I, I started off as a young leg spinner. And, uh, and the, by absolute pure coincidence, I, I rocked up at a training one day and one of our, one of our um, quick bowlers was ill and he was out for the week. So we were playing two days later and the, and the coach asked me, can you bowl some seam up? I said, I'll try. Um, wow, he was he was quite <laughs> impressed, and I was so was I. I was bowling massive Mike Proctor in swingers, but he was he was quite happy with that. And 
that was me. I, I never looked back after that. Every Friday, I used to go and stay, stay at my granddad's, my, my granny and granddad's house because mom and dad worked on weekends. Um, and um, so my granddad took me into whatever I was doing, either rugby or it was cricket, so he can drop me off. And I was reading the Cricketer and Wisdom mag- magazines. I always, it just like stacks of them that was, that was there. <laughs> And, uh, and and I always dreamt about I want to be I want to play cricket over there I really yeah. want to play cricket in England uh, I and you know, I would give any everything to have a crack at it and have a crack at it he did Alan Donald goes on to become a cult hero at Warwickshire and entertains crowds all over the United Kingdom as a touring South African but first Alan's childhood. Born in 1966 in Bloemfontein, a city in the Free State, a rural part of South Africa where Afrikaans is the main language, Alan's the eldest of three kids. So how was it growing up? It's a perfect place if you're a child because there's no distractions. Um, <laughs> it's, it's got fantastic schools um, and it's always known for, for its very, very good schools. Um, of course, I grew up in, a, in an era of uh, when it was total apartheid. Um, yeah. You know, me as a kid growing up in that, in that era, I sensed that from my point of view that things were happening, the things that were happening in my country was totally wrong. Um, and I, I, I just couldn't understand why should should a, a a black man not walk into a white man's toilet, public toilet? I couldn't get that, you know. So I was I was I was really it bugged me. It really did bug me um, uh, when I was a child because it, it was wrong. That sort of thing was wrong for me. But uh, but look, um, we got through those periods, and and South Africa just got better and better for this. For you know, it just really just got better. Uh, so. Um, and, but but the problem is, uh, you know, we, we South Africa is a sports mad country, and we wanted to represent our country, and we knew that in being in isolation wasn't going to cut it. So being in Bloemfontein was a great thing for me because uh, we still were playing first class cricket. We had a, uh, had a strong rugby and cricket culture in, in Bloemfontein, and um, but also, you know, because of the small smallness of the place, I think there's only about not even 800,000 then in the, in, yeah. in Bloemfontein. So um, we had access to a lot of good coaches that's never been heard of before, you know. So, um, but yeah, I mean, look, I love being there and my, my parents were, I come from a very strict, up, a strict upbringing. My mum and dad were very strict with us. Uh, and then, you know, I was, I, I wouldn't say I was fortunate enough to have done national service. So we were straight from school into the army. Uh, that was tough. That was intimidating for an for an eighteen year old kid to yeah. to be thrown in there, knowing that there's no other option, or there there was. You could either go and study, or you could go to the army. And um, I I, did, I didn't see myself studying, uh, so I went the other way and, and got two years of of national service out of the way, which was which was very good for me. Did you keep up your cricket at the same time? How did you balance the two? Yeah, I was, you know, Hansi Cronier's dad, Evie Cronier, was the uh, CEO of Free State Cricket. So he made sure I stayed in Bloemfontein. So, you know, it's it, it, we all talked about it at school. When you get that envelope, that brown envelope in, in your last days of school, it tells you exactly in there where would you go to the army. So it could be Cape Town, Pretoria, Joburg. 
it could be far far away so i was it's just a big country isn't it south africa yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so because we were so sort of housebound and and you know you become so um you know set in your ways you, you've never been taken out of your comfort zone and uh, all of a sudden that comes along that really just puts another uh, perspective on on life uh, i often say for my son's sake i wish it was still there so i can i, I can send him there <laughs> make him go through the same pain that you did <laughs> alan excels at cricket in particular fast bowling after doing his time in the army he makes his debut for the free state and soon finds himself on a plane to england yeah, I made my debut in '85 uh, at the Wanderers against Transvaal, and that was um, that was Graham Pollock's last season. Um, and Chris Broad was our captain, and um, um, I, I wasn't going to play. I was 12th man, and uh, Corey van Sale um, had a stress fracture in his foot, and he said to me, "You're in. You're playing." You know, and w- from that day, I. Uh, you know, it's, I was lucky enough just to keep going and and playing. And in 1986-7, the Rebel Australians came to South Africa and uh, played the last unofficial test. Um, that was also Graham Pollock's last at uh, St George's Park, where he made 150 odd. Um, and um, uh, David Brown was there, Warwick's head coach, and he was at that game because. Uh, he often comes to South Africa to look for young cricketers to, uh, to go on an exchange to Warwickshire, uh, which they did frequently with, with a lot of South African players. Um, and he asked me whether I was keen. He came to me one evening and after a day's play and said, would I be keen? And I was just over the moon. Getting off that plane as a 20-year-old, um, I, I presume you flew into Heathrow and were picked up then. Um, yeah. You must have been quite, I don't want to use the word scared, but nervous, uh, anticipation. I mean, this is a slightly different era. There's no WhatsApp to, to say you've landed. You just get no. picked up in a car. Yeah, Andy Moles picked me up and um, drove me from Heathrow to, to Birmingham and drove into Birmingham, which was a... Um, I don't want to mean too bad. I thought, wow, this was this is a bit of a rough spot. Uh, a bit overcast. <laughs> yeah, a bit cold. I wasn't nervous. I was very excited. I was yeah. really excited to be there and just couldn't wait to, to get stuck in. And I could genuinely not speak a word of English. So um, broken English, I could understand it, but I, I, I really struggled to speak it because now I was... And I was generally a, quite a shy guy anyway. Yeah. Uh, and having to be in that dressing room and, you know, <laughs> arriving the first day, walked in at Edgebaston and there was Dennis Amos. Um, there was Dennis Amos, Alvin Kalacharan, Jeff Humpage. Wow, uh, just to name those couple. I mean, there was, uh, you know, these are the guys I've been paging through the, the Cricketer and the Wisdom magazine all my life. And Alvin Kalacharan actually played a lot of his cricket in Free State. Um, right. You know, he came over and was an overseas professional, so he, he, I was pretty, pretty used to him. But yeah, just, just so good to to be at the club, and uh, you know, preseason was a little bit different than I experienced, and it was so cold, and you know, <laughs> running in the park across the, the Cannon Hill Park, going for runs in there was a was a bit of an experience with shorts on. Is it is it true that you bounced Dennis Amos in the nets early doors and uh, he wasn't too pleased with you? <laughs> yes, um, he actually walked out the net and uh, I was trying so hard to impress 
and the indoor center was just rapid it was just so quick and uh yeah he just walked out and just he literally told me that um you know this you, you'll find i know you'll you'll still find your length in here uh, but you're not going to break my ha- my hand or, or anything else for that matter. So uh, he just kindly just wear some some hits in the other net. Oh, I, I I just got carried away with it a little bit and uh, just trying to make a make a statement earlier on. So um, yeah, that's very true, very true. And you, you mentioned just now that obviously you, you didn't really speak much English. You only you you're an Afrikaner. That was the language you spoke. Um, there's a lovely story I heard that you weren't sure of the difference between the word compulsory and optional. So, so <laughs> yeah, it was a bit confusing for me back in those days. So, so optional uh, nets you were raring in, raring to go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I you know I thought every practice was a, a must come. <laughs> come to and uh, and quickly figure that out that uh, hold on a second and if you had optional training that's giving you the option to go and have a rest as well so (laughs) but I was so um, I was just so hungry for success and so hungry to to make a an impact to have an impact his first season at Warwickshire, Allen's like a sponge, sucking up as much wisdom as he can. He chats to whoever, whenever and wherever. Gordon Greenwich, Desmond Haynes, Clive Rice, Michael Holding, Ian Botham, Martin Crow are just some of the names on the county circuit. But two stand out for a young, quick bowler. First up, Sir Richard Hadley. Hadley was um, amazing, absolutely unbelievable bowler. Um, watched his videos. I, I still make notes now about how he thinks about the game and especially the strategy of uh, Test cricket and how he sees his world and how he works people over. Um, that to me is still fascinating, you know. So um, I faced a, I, I faced two full overs of 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 him. I didn't lay a bat on it. I think the. the the last two balls, I think uh, the second last ball of the second over, he bowled me and nicked me off. That was the first time I actually <laughs> laid back on it. <laughs> and just his, just how he used the crease uh, to me was, you know, you see it so uh, so clearly what's happening in front of you. Um, and Malcolm Marshall, Malcolm Marshall, uh, um, Hampshire played at Edgebaston where he took 14 wickets. And he just, on a flat, flat wicket, that just bowled with his head and was so, so good. I actually went and sat um, at Edgebaston um, by the old scoreboard, underneath the old scoreboard there. And I just watched him because we played on the far side near the Raybank stand and just watched him for a whole session, how he just weaved his magic. You know, he wasn't that quick anymore, but still not slow. But he just was so skillful, and I just wanted to, I just wanted to learn so much from those guys. And eventually, I spent a whole session, a session and a half at Hampshire with with Malcolm Marshall, and he again just story after story after story of of where he started and who he played with, and wow, I mean that was just fan, that was such fun. You were sort of awestruck by these characters, <laughs> especially Malcolm Marshall. Yeah. Um, it wasn't it wasn't too long before those success came your way. Warwickshire during that period had a lot of success. Um, I want to talk about the 1989 uh, NatWest Trophy final at Lords. Was that your first Lords final? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, first Lords final. Um, I didn't think I would play it. Uh, you know, I was um, also um, 
might have been Tony or myself and uh, Andy had a gut feel that you know I was the guy to to play on that day and my first my first my first rollout at the great ground uh was and, and again I was like a um a kid in a candy store really you know I've heard so much about lords and and the just the atmosphere and and just coming down those stairs that's all true it is just absolutely <laughs> amazing and um yeah it was a, it was a, a 60 overs thank goodness that's not anymore but uh 60 overs is a long day um and we won that just about at the death when it was very dark you know neil smith hitting the the, the last ball for, no i think it must have been near enough the last couple of overs or so hit it for six yeah, uh, to win the game. I've got the scorecard here. It was um, Smith and Asif Din were the yeah. two not out batsmen. Um, I, I don't criticise Alan, but sixty overs, Middlesex batted first and posted two hundred and ten for five. <laughs> the game's changed slightly. <laughs> the one day game now that you can never compare the one day game now and comparing to that because yeah. the, the skill level they've just gone through the roof. And the way that people approach one-day cricket now is, is scary. Um, you know, bigger bats, bigger people, they hit the ball further, and it's just aggression from ball one. So to see those scores <laughs> is, is unbelievable. That would have been knocked down in about less than 30 overs, I reckon. Indeed. Um, you picked up Mark Ramprakash, bowled Donald for 24. That was, uh, I think, your return figures of 141. There you go. First Lord's final. Nice (laughs) memories. I was happy with that. I was happy. I was even more happier when that ball was in the stands and Neil Smith. It it just felt it never, the game was never going to end. It just was so slow and every run that was so hard to get come by and um, but yeah, those were the cautious days of one day cricket but uh, thankfully no more. So Alan's first big game at Lord's and a win. In 1994, aged 27, Alan and his South Africa teammates come to England, back on the sporting scene following years in isolation during apartheid. The first test of the summer is at Lords. The excitement was off the charts because, um, you know, um, England for us was the team to beat. I mean, that's, that's almost our ashes. Um, you know, so if you can put it in that way, because we, you come to England here, you set your standards high, and Kepler Vessels being captain made that very, very clear um, right from the word go that um, the 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 attitude and the aggression we bring to the table is going to be very, very, very crucial to winning that series. You know, so um, and Kepler was, yeah, I would have thought he was uh, probably also getting to the end of steady on you know steadily getting to the end of his career as well so he wanted that win badly um so um you know it was a uh, was a big it was a big um a big series for him you know he had he felt he had a, a lot to prove personally but also he wanted to be that captain that uh goes home and say we've beaten England in England and that lord's test match uh, the first morning you guys walk out um well actually in, in fact you're you you bat first. You hit three hundred and fifty-seven, and Kepler hits 
hits a century. What were the nerves like in the dressing room? I saw an interview with Dave Richardson, um, now ICC and former wicketkeeper. He says you were a nervous bunch, actually, that, that morning oh, of that we were, test. We were not nervous, we were terrified, actually. Because <laughs> uh, walking through those doors and just the reception those two guys get uh, got, you know, um, Hudson and, and Gary Kirsten walking through the that little... Um, I stood down the stairs there actually and just wanted to have a look at this how, how this unfolds when you walk through there um, and when they re- reached the pitch it was every single person in that stadium stood up it was a, it was one heck of a thing I'll never forget it it was I think it got uh, it got better when the whole team walked out f- finally to go and bowl for the first time but my word yeah I mean there was a, that first hour was so much tension there that you know, just please get off to a good start let's not have a, an absolute nightmare here um, it, it truly I, I, you, you, although no one said so uh, I just felt that almost all my teammates were thinking the same thing yeah. uh, just don't just do not mess this up this today but thankfully, you know, um, I mean, um, Kepler's 100 was a fantastic 100. And uh, obviously, John T. Rhodes, Macmillan made a, a great contribution. All the, all the, the, the we had a, a fairly long tail as well. So uh, all rounders, Matthews, well, De Villiers and myself were the only bowlers there, really. Uh, and Matthews, of course. But, um, but yeah, I mean, to get 357 and then go and bowl England out uh, the way we did uh, was a was a serious effort. Goff in again from the pavilion end. Bowls with a wide sweep of the arm. This is hit off the back foot between the two slips in the gullies for fir- four to third man. It wasn't absolutely a convincing stroke, but it was a fair one in the circumstances. Had there been a third or fourth slip, he might have been interested in that. It got up, but he, in turn, rode the hands high and uh, managed to keep control of the stroke. On a very quick wicket, that might have perhaps ended up in Slip's hands, but uh, as it was, it ended up on the third man boundary. Five to Cronje, 33 for one on this lovely summer's morning. Just being on the field finally as a cricket team, collectively on that field, uh, was was a special feeling, it really was. And when you did bowl England out for 180, um, you did what every cricketer dreams of. You got your name on those Lord's Honours boards. Um, talk me through that, Alan Donald, five for <laughs> 74. Yeah, it was a, it was a very, very special. And I, and I think that that's what you look at the as a player. You look at all those the the, the, the honours boards there, the batting and the bowling, and you and you look at the names who's been there before, and you think, wow, I mean, I, I would absolutely want to be part of that and how are you going to do this and and quickly you know um Kepler I think Mike Proctor actually just said that forget about what's on that board here you know it'll if it comes it comes it's a bonus and you'll be remembered forever getting your name on there that's one motivation and uh you know but I think we we bowled like we we could as a South African team and I was just lucky enough to come out the other end with a five wicket haul Didn't bounce, Stewart on the back foot and gone. Off almost the face of the bat rather than the inside edge and Donald has done it, 19 for one. Got in, Donald has struck. Atherton goes just before the interval. Well, extra pace, no doubt about that. Well, there he goes. 
It was very important that he should survive for England, but Donald has got through. And uh, as I just mentioned, don't put your life savings on the saving of the follow-on. Quite right too, Richie, and uh, it's been a very difficult innings for Craig White. I think one of the most difficult innings of his career. And he's gone now. Uh, Donald has got him, the follow-on has been saved. De Freitas is out for 20 and a very brisk 20. They've only just had time to sit down in the commentary box and uh, it's all been happening. De Freitas out for 20, a good sharp catch there. And uh, Donald has claimed his wicket. 161 for eight now, England. You don't need motivating playing there. It just, it just comes naturally. It's that special. The place is just, just throws out history at you, and you want to be part of that history. And 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 I think that just drives a cricket team, especially a a touring cricket team. That that just is the motivation that uh, you need to is 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 to try and get your name on that on honours board. So. Um, you know, I've I've been lucky enough to do it twice, uh, once in '94 and once in '98. So it was a, a good effort. Got it. Goff is gone. That's good reflexes from Donald. We've got a fast bowler coming in, bowling around about 90 to 100 miles an hour, and he's still able to make a slight change in direction, dive and take a splendid catch. Darren Goff out for 12. 176 for nine, and Donald has struck again. Five wickets in the innings. When that came back to you, you must have known. <laughs> Just don't drop it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, when it, I, I must say, it sort of, it wasn't like a he bludgeoned it back at me. It was a, sort of a mistimed leg side chip or something like that, and it came back, came back to me nice and easy. Uh, so it was, yeah, what a feeling, you know, when you, you, you just think, wow, is, is that such a relief? You think that's it. The first South African since, re, since uh, the apartheid era to, to, to get your name on the honours board. It's a, a five-wicket haul, so that was incredibly uh, satisfying and incredibly, uh, I reckon, also a bit of emotion. And, and, and that's where I, I had to think back to, to all those guys who didn't make it there, mm. you know, immediately think, you know, we've had some great bowlers over the years, you know, Mike Proctor himself, who's our coach, um, and uh, um, Peter Pollock, um, who was also tremendous. He became a selected, South African selected, great human being. Um, and, 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 uh, uh, all the the other guys, Vince van der Bale and and these guys who were uh, Clive Rice, um, Hugh Page, and all these guys who never really had the chance to play for their country. But uh, you know, uh, it's, it, 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 it's it was what it is what it is. And and but uh, yeah, I very privileged to have to have uh, you know put my name up there. You go on to win the Test match. Uh... You get 278 for eight declared in your second innings and then England are all out for 99. I think Brian McMillan takes that final wicket as um, Gus Fraser is uh, trapped LBW and then it's Q celebrations, the home of cricket, you've returned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we, we, we were back um, and I think the, you know, we, we did celebrate really well. Um, I still, re still remember having the flag up there and we got told off... Uh, in the t in during the test match for please take the flag down on the balcony uh so but we got a very rude awakening at six o'clock the next morning because um i got a knock on my door 
from the fitness trainer saying we've got to be downstairs now and I thought you are kidding me you know so and uh, I thought well I'll stroll down there I wasn't feeling too great but I mean <laughs> um, we've just won an amazing test match and Kepler got us together and he said um, his words were I don't care what you think um, I know this will rock a few but uh, at the moment we have only won one test match and we're here to our mission is not completed so we're going to go for a little stroll uh, it was raining as well and that later that day we were off to Northampton and that really sort of just blew me away <laughs> <laughs> it sort of brought back to reality and brought us down to earth uh, because we, we which was true we, we haven't won anything yet but one test and there was a lot more work to do so uh, but yeah uh, so it was a nice celebration but uh, short lived at six <laughs> o'clock in the morning <laughs> is it true that Desmond Tutu snuck that flag in on the final day or is that I can't recall that no I can't can't um, uh, really say to you that was true or not um, but I, I do think that flag was in there uh, since day one um, so just floating around in the dressing yeah. room <laughs> Um, then the rest of the tour oh we haven't even mentioned that was a game in which Mike Atherton dirt in the pocket affair but yeah, uh, we'll focus on yeah. we'll focus on South Africa's victory for this episode <laughs> of the podcast and and you had a bit of a falling out with Kepler during that tour didn't yeah, you yeah it, it was it was uh, I struggled with a foot and I, I my, my right foot was really you know I took a during during the second test at Headingley I took an injection because I, I could hardly stand on it and I kept on saying maybe we should have this scanned or x-rayed and they said no it's okay we've just got you know um, we didn't know what it was um, so I had an injection in there kept on bowling um, there was 10 days before the third test at the Oval so they told me get off your feet don't do anything just um, just stay off your feet don't do anything okay fine did a fitness test passed that fitness test <laughs> As you're hearing, Alan's struggling with an injury. Having won at Lords, the next match at Headingley's a draw, then to the Oval for the final test of the series. But Devon Malcolm destroys South Africa with a famous nine-wicket haul. Suddenly, from the highs of Lords, the tour's ending miserably. Alan and Kepler's relationship goes from bad to worse. Let's pick the story up on day two at the Oval. I came on uh, sort of just before, just after lunch, between lunch and tea, and I got two quick wickets. And I remember I yorked uh, Graham Hick, and uh, a few balls later, I started to feel a lot of cramps. Just big, but I was in heavy medication, and you know, no one told me, "Listen, you need to watch out because you need to still need to do some exercises to just keep moving." Um, and then my my body just went into one spasm. Uh, because of all the the stuff I've been taking, and and then Kepler obviously he, he didn't enjoy that very much, uh, because I was in the middle of a really blo- uh, of a good spell, and I walked back and I said to Hansi Cronier, I said, listen, H, I'm struggling, I'm really struggling, I, I, I'm going to have to. He said, no, you can't walk off now, you cannot. I, I literally could not do anything from my feet to my hands everything was just in one so Kepler got really you know he was annoyed and I can I can understand why but if you're not mobile you're not mobile and I think that it was a bit of a bitter one because when Malcolm 
you know, we weren't really switched on for that. We we always, you know, he, he told us, and when you see, there's so many great clips of when you see uh, Dev gets hit right in the center of his helmet and the badge keeps flying off onto the floor. Gary Kirsten wanted to pick it up and he just said, get away, you guys are in trouble. I, I, you know, I didn't take him seriously because, you know, he's going to bowl quick for a short period of time. And I still said that, just be wary because he's going to come, come at us. And, but he, he got it so right, it was frightening because that was the best I've ever seen him bowl. Um, bowled quick, 90-odd miles, 94, 94 miles an hour plus. And he goes on the pavilion end and bowls to... Oh, he's oh, found him! Shatters the stumps. They're all over the place. South Africa in disarray. Devon Malcolm is among them. One for three. Cornier bowled for naught. And the oval erupts. Incredible scenes here. Full-length delivery. Cronier late in playing forward. Middle stump, knockback. And Devon Malcolm is really climbing in here. As in moves Malcolm to bowl to Donald. Oh, he's bowled him. It's all over. Malcolm has nine wickets. Donald hit on the pad. The ball rolls back. And hits the middle stump. Congratulations all round for Devon Malcolm. An awesome display by Devon Malcolm. They're all around him. Except, of course, for Atherton and Gooch, who made their way up to the dressing room to pad up. South Africa, a 175 all out. A standing ovation. Union Jack away in the stands. Flies high as Devon Malcolm will lead England off. After a quite superb spell of bowling. Cap in his left hand. He walks off, applauded by his England teammates, waves the cap up in the air. Alan Donald shakes his hand as he walks past him and up into the dressing room. We were just blown away and in, a, in, a, in one session. Uh, it was brutal and, you know, so... But I, I just sensed that, you know, me and, and Kepler after that, we, we didn't speak much. Um, he was not happy with the way that I left the field. It was out of my control. Uh, the whole scenario was not handled very well, uh, I felt. Um, but he was a tough man. And, and, and I felt at times he was uncompromising. Um, it was... Uh, he batted with a lot of broken finger so he thought well you know uh, he wanted everyone to be like that and yeah. unfortunately it wasn't wasn't to be like that but uh he wanted to win that series so badly i, I understand that and i get that um to think he went maybe uh, a bit too far in that sort of yeah, mentality the, the, like the tour went it. yeah the, and the tour went from um from really having a a, a great tour a great time first time back in the uk playing england to a miserable tour where everyone is because we had to go to holland and then we lost there against holland then i i um i didn't play because of my foot went back to south africa first time i scanned it i had a crack in my um little bone underneath my foot which was very important and the doctor told me that he doesn't think 
uh, the success rate of this operation is not a good one because for us doing this sort of type of impact sport, uh, impact on your feet and the loads you carry, I can't guarantee that you're going to bowl again. So that's a, that was this, the seriousness of the injury, which uh, which was basically sort of just flicked on. You know, you'll be fine. Yeah. You know, take an injection here and there. But I actually had a, a, a really big fracture in my um, uh, in, in, in on that bone. So so yeah, I, I was out for six months. I was out for six months, and um, yeah, it took me a long time to get back. But uh, yeah, it was it was a miserable tour, and I, I was I, I was just. You know, I was disappointed how how Kepler handled that because um, he's also from the Free State as well. Yeah, he went, went to, to great same, college, same school. Went to great college. I think he's got a great cricket brain, seriously good cricket brain, and 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 he was a he was a hard man. That's fine. That's is there, fine. Is there a toughness to people from the from sort of the Free State? I think you once compared it to Yorkshire. Who's that, Kepler? You, no, you did oh. the, the Free State and Bloemfontein. You said the people there are like people from Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just think it's how kids grow up and they, they learn to fend for themselves and it, it brings out a, uh, a real steeliness um, amongst them and they they quickly, you know, you, you, right, we didn't have great coaches around. Uh, not, not first class anyway, but... Uh, um, so you you grow up having to fend for yourself and harden up. Um, so yeah, uh, but Kepler was from a, you know he played his cricket in Australia. He was a bloody good batsman and, and and a very good captain. I really really enjoyed playing under him. I just felt it was so wrong to have left the tour under that cold circumstances. Yeah. Um, um, but you know, uh, we we talk today. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know. been listening to the lord's cricket podcast with me will Rowe. the stories from the home of cricket with the people that made them that was the first part of the alan donald story in the next episode alan chats about meeting nelson mandela returning to lords for the 1998 test where guess what he takes a five wicket haul that famous duel with mike atherton and the match fixing scandal and tragic death of his close friend hansi cronier If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a listen to part two.